not advertising the book, but I just, I like some of the thoughts in that video. Does anyone else get like hit by that? Particularly like the first half, like this illusion of more. Um, I don't know, everywhere you look around in our world, um, we are offered more, whatever that may be. And so we want to look at that a bit tonight. Um, but firstly, it's great to see you all here. I know there's a few empty chairs, but God is here. And I, yeah, like Shano was sort of saying, I, I really believe that God will speak and good, do something in your life tonight. And like Sab said, I think we need to posture ourselves like... Shano, he came into office this week and ran a little um, Devo for us. And he gave this picture of like the water jug, like God pours out a water jug. And like we're the little bowl that receives it. But you've got to like move into the spot to like get there sometimes. I think I want to encourage you tonight to like position yourself, posture yourself, prepare yourself to actually receive that. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to get into it. So I don't know if you, any of those examples in that video sort of stuck out to you. Anything that you feel like, you know, if I just had that, I would be good. Essentially, that's what it is. If I was just had that many muscles, if I just got that many likes, or if I just got that thing at work, what would it be for you? You know, if I just got, you know, an extra 10K, that would be... That would be nice, you know, that would be pretty good. But then you talk to the people that get that amount and they just want (laughs) a bit more. There's always more, it's always more. And we get sucked into this trap and what's that thing for you? What's the greater thing? You know, in my life, I don't know how many times I catch myself thinking, if I just had a girlfriend, you know, if I just had a girlfriend, then life would be, life would be perfect, life would be complete, Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm the only one that thinks like that. Um, but then I talk to people who've got girlfriends or boyfriends, and it's just, if I just got engaged, then I'll be happy. And people who are engaged, if I just got married, I'll be happy. People that are married, if I just got, if we just had kids, I'd be happy. Or if we, and it just goes on and on. Do you know what I mean? Or is it just me? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. What is the thing that you are thinking, if I just got that, what is that for you? Um, I was listening to an interview from Adam Silver. Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA, like top dog. Um, highly respected, highly intelligent guy. And um, he's talking about NBA stars and particularly this generation of NBA stars. These guys, I mean, the NBA is about 500 players, I think. So imagine being in the top 500 basketball players in the world out of... Like millions. Like these guys are in the top like point whatever percent of basketball players. Earning millions of dollars. And like just look at like look at the, how high they can jump and do things. And LeBron James is like an absolute unit. And then I mean they're just cool guys. Every time you see them, just like, man, they're cool. Like they've got swag and all these things and you know, they've got all the gidget, all the gadgets, all the gizmos, they've got everything. Earning millions of dollars a year. And yet Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, talks about how we have this crisis within the NBA of unhappy NBA players. That they are anxious, that they are fearful and lonely and isolated. They sit on buses with their team and they just put their headphones in, sit on their phone and don't talk to anyone for hours. 
they look on social media and see everyone either praising them or bagging them out or probably a mixture of both. And they are so anxious about their performance. And like, I just go, surely they've got everything. And even them, they go, there's something missing. They're searching for more. And so really this year, as we look at Generate, and we have this theme of greater, our prayer is that God would be the greater. God would be the one that we search after. Because the reality is, in our hearts, we always want something more. We always, and I think there's something natural about that and something okay about that. We all search for something, but where do you direct that is the key. Because the truth of the Bible is that God is the one who satisfies. He's the one that actually satisfies that longing. But also the other cool truth of the Bible is that God is never-ending. That you can never get to the end of that searching. See, the reality is, sure, these things that the world offers, you know, the money, the car, whatever, sure, that will satisfy for a bit. Like, let's be honest, if someone came and gave you a million dollars right now, like, it feels pretty good. I mean, hypothetically speaking, of course, I don't know what it feels like, but (laughs) it would feel good, yeah? This would be, like, you can agree, all right? Classic Andrew Rinched a moment, whoops. Um... We know that that would, but the thing is it wouldn't last because we always would want something more. There would be something next. And so we don't just need something to fulfill our longing, but something that we can continually long after. And that's the paradox of faith, and that's what we find in the person of Jesus, someone who satisfies our longing, but someone who we can continually long after. And I think that is awesome, kind of daunting, because we will never completely know, but kind of exciting that we'll never completely know. So that's really what we want to look at a bit tonight. Um, Mark Sayers has this quote. He says, God's presence is the destination and the means to get there, which is really what we want to hammer home tonight, that God's presence, that being with God, being in a relationship with him, that is the destination for us. That is what we search after. But also that God's presence is the way that we get there. We don't do it ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at um, Joshua chapter 3. It'll be on the screens as well. So if you're unfamiliar with the story of Joshua, basically the Israelites, the people of God, back in Genesis, they were promised to be a great nation. God promised them you're going to be a great nation, which meant lots of people, it meant a prosperous and good land, and it meant God being with them. That was the promise that they had. And then you follow through to the end of Genesis, and they end up in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. Promises weren't quite being, you know, followed through in terms of what they felt at the time. Then comes Moses. Moses leads God's people out uh, of Egypt. Miraculously, crazy things happen. And then they led through the desert 
the wilderness towards the promised land, the land that they had been promised back hundreds of years earlier. They disobey God. They make a whole bunch of mistakes. They have to wander around for 40 years. Eventually that whole generation dies off and a new generation comes in. And then we pick up the story here with Moses now dead and Joshua leading the people. And they're on the edge of the promised land. They're on literally the Jordan River. Across from the Jordan is now the promised land. So they're right there. And this is what God's word says in Joshua 3. And we're going to read just the first six verses. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, an unfortunate name of a place. And they came to the Jordan, Joshua and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So I just want to pick out just a couple key things from that little passage. And the first one is to watch for the presence. Joshua commands the people to to keep an eye on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, it wasn't just a symbolic thing of God's presence. It was literally the presence of God. That's where God dwelt. And later on, it ended up in the temple, and the temple was then the dwelling place of God. And that's why they couldn't touch it or go near it, because it was holy, and you know, sinful people couldn't just treat it without, you know, without fear and reverence and without cleansing. And so Joshua tells them, to stay away, but to consecrate yourselves. So this is like the very presence of God. And Joshua says, as soon as you see the ark, that's when you move. See, the reality is we're all trying to get to some sort of promised land. We're all trying to get to something greater, but we don't do it ourselves. What God is actually calling us to do is actually like to Watch out for the presence. As soon as you see it, then you move. Don't try and go ahead of it. Don't try and figure it out yourself. Don't try and go your own way. As soon as you see the ark, then you move. We need to ask ourselves, are we aware of God's presence? Are we actually aware of where God is moving? Do we see it? Do we look for it? Or are we too busy looking at other things? Like imagine if the Israelites had just got comfy where they are. They'd been, they'd been camping there for three days. You imagine they've got the tents all set up. They've got the table out the front. They've got their camping chairs out. They're sitting there playing cards. <laughs> Do you know, what if they just got comfortable and they weren't ready to move? What if they'd missed it and God had gone on and they were too busy? Well, I think that's my life more often than not. I'm just sitting there comfortable And I'm not actually looking. I'm not actually watching, prepared to see, okay, where is God moving? And then I'm going to follow. Imagine every day, 
actually having that awareness that as soon as I see it, I'm, gonna, I'm moving. And I'm actually watching for God to move. I'm actually watching for God to open up an opportunity for me to draw near to Him, for me to follow Him. Because the reality is that's what we're called to do. We're not called to walk our own way and ask God to follow us. We're to follow Him. As soon as you see the ark, we need to be ready and be watching. So that, and this is later on in verse 4, that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. I was just really challenged by that. You know, if our whole world is searching for something more, and it's not working, no one's satisfied. Even the people that we think they've got it all, they don't. And so when we're talking about greater, the reality is we haven't been this way before. We don't really know what it means to live life to the full. And so are we going to try and get to that place by ourselves or are we going to follow God to it? And the thing is, this is completely countercultural to the world that we live in. We live in a secular world now where really the basis of that is that there is no God. That's the basic sort of foundation of the society that we live in. There is no God. And so people want something greater, but they don't want to be led by the one who we believe is great. Mark Sayers puts it this way, the people want progress without the presence, or they want the kingdom without the king. And this even creeps into the church and into our lives where we want the benefits of God, but we don't actually want to be with God. When, we, when you really boil it down and look at your behavior, do you just want the benefits of God or do you want to actually be with God? Because there's a big difference. You know, I remember talking to a family and they were asking about a youth group and they were, they were living, you know, sort of a bit further away and like, do you know any youth groups around there? We want our kids to go to youth group. And I was a bit perplexed because they weren't Christian. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't go to church, but they wanted their kids to go to youth and so I said yeah look I'll have a think and let you know but I'm like I just sort of asked them like well may I ask why like why you know I don't go to church or anything like why do you want to and they go they looked at me like oh look we you know see a lot of the church kids around and really we want our kids to grow up with those values we want them to be nice people you know who are loving and do things for others and that sort of thing um and we just, I'm like, well, look, I know a few groups out there, but they're pretty like, you know, that worship and Bible studies and stuff, like it's pretty Christian. And she's like, oh, it, you know, it'll be fine. He'll just ignore that and, you know, pick up some of the values and stuff. You know, and it's just a classic example of someone who like, yeah, we want, we want the kingdom. We want those values. We want people to be nice. But I don't want a king. I don't want someone to tell me how to live my life. <laughs> you know, we have the same thing with School is Rev. We have a number of non-Christians that come on a missions trip with us at the end of the year. And you ask them, like, why, why are you here? <laughs> like, why are you spending your schoolies doing something nice for other people when you've got no faith basis to base that on? Like, it doesn't always make sense. And, you know, it's just, oh, we want to see good things happen. Like, we want to see justice and all this stuff. But then when you look at their lives, it 
really doesn't all make sense. But so often we see it like people want the kingdom, they don't want a king. They want progress without the presence. They want to go greater without the one who is great. See, like we saw in that video, everyone wants something more. But the reality is we haven't been this way before. So where are we looking to get that? Are we going to look to the creator of life, the one who gives life and who sustains it, the one who saves our lives, the one who gives eternal life? Will we look to to God to lead us to something more, to something greater? Or will we keep trying to do it ourselves? And if we think, and the thing is we can even do this like in nice holy church terms, like we were talking before, like if we just, you know, if we just play these songs a little bit better, then we'll get to the next level. Or if, you know, if we just put up these nice photos on Instagram, then like we'll get a bit better. Or if we just, do you know what I mean? We can even get it into church where you just think, if we just do these things better, and all of a sudden it just, it's all about us again trying to do things in our own strength. God is inviting us, urging us. We haven't been this way before. So look to me to lead us. In your life, who or what will you trust to lead you to a greater life? It's really the question of tonight. Who or what will you trust to lead you to that place? to a full life, to satisfaction, to the promised land, to the greater knowledge of God, whatever it is, who will you trust to lead us there, particularly when we haven't been this way before? Will we trust the things of this world or will we trust God? Will we watch for his presence, wait for his presence, and when we see it move, or will we just go our own way and then ask God to bless us as we do it? So that's the first thing, that we watch for God's presence. Second thing we want to look at is like, why? Why can we trust God? Because as we sung earlier, and as the Bible teaches, we believe that actually God is the one who is greater. He is the one who is greater. And, and the thing is, if we want to change the output of our life, this is one another thing Mark Sayers teaches, and I'm just obsessed with Mark Sayers. I'm a huge fan. Um, but one thing he says is to change the outputs of our lives, we actually need to change the input. That if we want to see things change in our life, we actually need to change what actually comes in. And what we want to look at now is, and the beauty of the Christian faith is that the greatest input ever has, has actually taken place, that God has given us his spirit in us, and that if we can just stay connected, if we can just live in that relationship with Him, that'll change the output of our lives. Look at 1 John 4 verse 4. I think I've got it on the screen. There we go. You, dear children, are from God and you have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So often I, I feel defeated by 
the things of this world. I get caught up in the illusions and I get sucked into the traps and the different things and I start reaching for the fruit and, you know, and then I start trying to figure it out myself. If I just try harder, if I just do these things better, if I put these things in place, then I'll be able to fix my own situation. But John teaches that we overcome because the one who is in us is great. The one who is in us is actually greater than the one who is in the world. Paul writes a similar thing in Romans 8. He says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Key phrases there that are repeated. That the Spirit gives life and the Spirit lives in you. All throughout the Bible there's this running theme of God breathing life into people. Right at the start in Genesis it says God breathed into his people and then they had life. And that same word for breath is the same word for spirit. And God breathes his spirit now into us to give us life. So we overcome the world and we find true life, not because we do great things, not because you know, we come to church on a Sunday, not because we hang around the right people, but because the spirit of God lives in us. That is the key. But the thing is, is that the Holy Spirit is not a power source. The Holy Spirit is a person. Too often we treat the Holy Spirit like the plug in the wall, you know, the electrical PowerPoint, that when my battery starts getting low, then, oh, okay, then I'll go to God. Yeah, God, I need you now. I'm going to plug in. Or we treat it like, okay, I've got a big thing coming up. I don't quite have enough juice, so I'm going to plug in. And get it going. You know, the battery is not as strong as the electricity in the wall. And we treat, the, we treat God and we treat the Holy Spirit like a power source. But the reality is, is the Holy Spirit is a person. And it's a relationship that we have with God day by day. Like Galatians says, keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking with Him. Listening. Seeking. Reading. Praying. Being aware watching, stopping, meditating on his truth, having time alone. We need to keep in step with the Spirit because the Spirit is who breathes life. And if we really want something more, if we want to have, if we feel like life is not giving us enough, maybe it's actually we need to plug more into God to see the output changed. And I think a big part of that for us is to actually stop to spend time with him. You know, as I was, I was thinking of the Lion King classic. I remember, I mean, I mean, yeah, everyone's seen the Lion King as a kid, kid yeah? Like, if you didn't, I don't know what happened. Um, I'm sorry. But I watched it a couple of years ago, man. That's a movie, like, when you watch the movie as an adult, it's like, it's slow, it is hard slog, like 
great soundtrack, but like, man, it is slow going. Anyway, it gets to this point where, you know, Simba, you know, obviously has strategy. I won't try and spoil it too much. Um, but he goes on this journey of trying to find himself, trying to figure out what do I do from here? And he ends up with Timon and Pumbaa, has a real fun time, but that doesn't seem to last. Um, and then he has the sort of the love fling with Nala. Nala comes out and they have, you know, the little thing. Elton John starts playing in the background. It's all romantic. But even that, like, doesn't get him back on track. You know, she sort of says, you know, to come back to the, come back to Pride Rock, like, you're the king, you need to come. And that doesn't work. And then Rafiki comes. Rafiki's like the man. And he leads him through this wild chase. I don't know if you remember the scene and Rafiki's sort of knocking him with a stick and then leads him through the jungle and then all of a sudden stops in his face. He goes, stop. Shh. Look down there. <laughs> you know? And leads him to the water. And he just says, look, look in the water. And then Simba's like, oh, I see nothing. You know, has a little sook. And what does the Rafiki say? Look harder. <laughs> you know? Look harder. Wait a minute. See, I think so often that's us in the Christian life. You know, we, we stop for two seconds we look in the water, you know, we have that time with God and then we feel nothing, we see nothing and then we move on. And what if for a moment we actually just looked harder, just stopped a little bit longer, just waited a bit longer to actually see if God's moving. We're so quick to move on, so quick to sort of just, all right, I feel nothing, so I'm... And then if you remember the scene, you know, Eventually, he hears Mufasa's voice. You know, he says, you see, he lives, in, he lives in you. Remember who you are. Remember, 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 remember. We need to stop regularly, daily, hourly. Remember that he lives in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's this ancient... Asian proverb that says people don't see their reflection in running water. It's only when the water is still when the reflection will emerge. And I just think so often the water's running and we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to just need to stop. Let the water be still. And know that in the stillness that He is God. Rather than get caught up in this hurry and this chaos and the craziness of our world. We need to stop and remember that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. He breathes life into us. Greater is He living in me than in He that is in the world. What if we each day just remembered that? Just took time to remember that. And to know that God desires that relationship with us each day to give us life, knowing that As Colossians 1 says, it says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in you. And so, this life then. I believe that as we begin to know God more, as we sort of go beyond our box, go beyond what we know into a greater knowledge, a greater relationship with God. That is when our faith and life begin to flourish. 
And I was reading this book that talked about like history and talking about the Renaissance period, which is like super nerdy, but it was very interesting. Um, it's like 14th century to 17th century. And it just talks about how sort of art and culture flourished in this period. Like you think of probably most of like the famous art pieces that you know of are from that sort of period. Um, and the Reformation happened in this time as well. But he says, what his sort of theory was, the thing that kicked this off, the thing that really helped this was the discovery of the new world. It was in this time that explorers went out. Like they thought the end of the world was Europe. Like that was all that it was. And then all of a sudden explorers went out and they discovered the Americas, north and south, and they discovered all these new lands. And as they discovered more, as the horizons sort of expanded, that's when life begins to sort of flourish. And I just, I really like that thought that actually as our, as our discovery grows, as our sort of narrow boxes are sort of expanded, that's when actually faith and life begins to flourish. You know, I have this with, you know, guitar. I remember one day I was sitting in my room, I think Shane came over, and um, we're trying to write a song. And like, if you ever try to write a song, it's like it never goes well, I find. Um, it just it was going nowhere. And so we sort of gave up. And then I was like, oh, teach me some new chords. I'm like, because, you know, I'm a pretty basic sort of guitar player. And as I... I learned a few new chords. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. The next day, I sat down with these new chords, and all of a sudden, the creativity began to flow, and I began to write. And there's this sense of, like, actually, as I discovered something new, that's when the flourishing began to happen. So as, we, as God leads us to know him greater, I believe that's where we find life. That's where we flourish. Psalm 1 puts it this way. Um, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. Basically, blessed is the one, not who goes the way of the world, but blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It says, he or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he or she does He prospers. So right at the start of the Psalms, it's this Psalm saying that blessed is the one. Blessed means happy or content, close to God. That person is not the one who walks the way of the world, but actually who delights in God's way of life and in his word. And that person flourishes, grows fruit, doesn't wither, prospers. It doesn't mean that we'll be blessed like the world says blessed is. It doesn't mean you're going to get a million dollars handed to you or you're going to get the car that you want or anything like that. But it means that there will be a sense of God's presence with you that will be greater than anything else. You know, the psalmist says later on, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's not just like because he had an awesome Hillsong-like worship experience. That's because... God's presence is there. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Like if you think about it, even from just like a logical, philosophical sort of point of view, like just a rational thinking, if God is real, 
and God created the universe, would not knowing him and knowing him more be the greatest thing that you could do with your life? Like, if those two things are, are true, <laughs> would that not be the greatest ad- adventure and the greatest thing that you could do with your life? To know him and to know him more? Like, what could be more important than that? And so maybe for some of us tonight, we actually just need a belief change. Maybe we actually need to actually ask God to change our hearts and actually believe that that God is truly worth following and believe that He is great and that He will lead us to greater. And in fact, He will lead us to the greatest, which is Himself, that His presence is the destination and the means to get there. Hebrews 11 puts it this way, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So if we want to draw near to God, two things very clear. One, we must believe that He exists. For some of you, maybe that's a question you've got to ask and you've got to wrestle with and you've got to explore whether He actually exists. And if he exists, the second one is this. Do you believe that he will reward those who seek him? Not as in like he'll give you a, you know, a lollipop or something because you've done the right thing, but that he's actually worth finding. That we will find satisfaction and joy and peace and life in all of its fullness. Because if you read the rest of Hebrews 11, it's full of these examples of people who didn't receive what they were promised. God said, you know, I'm going to lead you to a new land, and they didn't get that. They didn't see the promises fulfilled in their lifetime. Some of them lost their lives. Some of them were persecuted, like horribly murdered. And yet they held on because they knew God, and he was great enough for them to hold on to. J.I. Packer is this guy who wrote, I'm reading this book called Knowing God. It's like, if you want to get a book about like wrestling with some of this stuff, how to know God more, J.I. Packer, Knowing God. It's like 50 years old, but it's like gold. Anyway, he says it this way. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective. Something which catch, catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? We're all searching for something more. Will we direct that into the one who truly deserves it? Do you believe that that is what makes life worthwhile? Do you believe that there is nothing more compelling or exalted or anything higher than knowing God? This is how the Gospel of John finishes up. Guy spends 20 chapters talking about Jesus, his teaching, what he did. And then John says, These things are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I know it's like super basic and some of you have heard it many times. But what do you really believe about God? What do you really believe about Jesus? Do you really believe that he exists and that he loves you and that he saved you and that he is worth following? The truth is, if I'm honest, I need to assess that in myself. I constantly need to assess that. Do I actually believe that? Because if so, that should change a few things in my life. Because it's by believing that we have life in his name. Not by doing all these things, not by figuring out all this stuff, but by believing in Jesus that we have life. Earlier, John says this in chapter 17. He says, this is eternal life, that you would know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's what John writes is eternal life. Not just this pie in the sky, wishy-washy, angels sitting on clouds, everything's nice and dandy as we sing Kumbaya. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And we experience that now and forever. It's the destination, but it's also the means to get there. So as we wrap up, I want to give you just a moment just to stop. I've said a lot. It's probably been a bit jumbled and mumbled, but to just take a moment just to reflect on some of the things that we've talked about. What do you believe? Who are you trusting to lead you to life? Or what are you trusting? Reflect on the fact that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Maybe there's other things that stood out to you. I want to just give you just a few moments just to actually think about that. Reflect on that, chew on that for a bit. We're going to, um, we're going to sing this song, but before we did that, I just want to just read out a couple of verses from Exodus. Where Moses um, is leading the people and he, said, he has this sort of wrestle with God. And he says this um, in verse uh, 13. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, well, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And then God says, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then Moses goes up the mountain, receives some tablets, and sees the very glory of God. But we're going to sing this song and just that idea that if your presence does not go with us, like, I don't want to go. That I'm not going to move forward. I'm not going to go to greater without you. Because actually you're the one who is great. 
This song says, if you're not here, I don't want to be. I wonder if that would be actually our heart tonight. (laughs) That actually, I don't want the benefits. I don't want the kingdom. I want the king. I want God. And I want to be with him. Because I believe that he is the one who is great. He is the one worthy of everything. That all of our hope is in him. All of our life is in him. And his presence is what separates us from the rest. His presence with us is what actually makes us distinct from every other in the world. So I'm going to invite you to stand and sing and that we would place our hope and our life in the hands of Christ our King.